The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, Tonight's sermon is an attempt to answer five or six different questions that were turned in for our Curious series. Um, These questions were different applications of a theological struggle that has existed really since the beginning of the church. Uh, Followers of Christ have always had to wrestle with the relationship between the law and grace. And it has, unfortunately, oftentimes led to confusion and sometimes even bitter conflict within uh, the house of God and and among Christians. Now, treating this really big question uh, or the application questions that kind of flow from it with either biased or cliche or shallow answers is is not helpful for people or for furthering God's kingdom. Um, I will say, however, that in, in us delving into what we're going to tonight... There have been really big, lots of really big books with really big words written about these things, okay? So we will not, by any means, exhaust all that could be said about it. But taking the questions that we got, I'm going to try to zero in and kind of chart a path through this uh, subject that I'm hoping will be uh, helpful for us. So our title tonight is Salvation, Sanctification, and Sin. How does all this work? Uh, And I want you guys to know that I'm really encouraged by the questions that came in because even though this title seems like uh, we're going to be talking about simple or elementary principles, we're actually going to be working through what I believe is some of the most difficult terrain for theologians throughout time to traverse or navigate. So it's really going to be to some degree deep and and you're going to have to engage your mind, try not to track off on me tonight because we're going to have to stay in this together for it to be fruitful. Um, these questions, what they tell me, the fact that these questions came in, it tells me that our church family is really thinking about the implications of the gospel in real life situations. That's why I'm encouraged about it. Uh, and, and they're working to figure out how the gospel actually applies in their lives instead of living kind of a lukewarm life of simple mental acknowledgement of the truths about Jesus. So I'm excited to get into this. I'm really thankful that our folks asked these questions And it uh, led us here tonight. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to start in verse 1, okay? Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Amen. Now, verses 1 through 8, we're going to deal with the first portion of the question. And 1 through 8, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, is one of, if not the, clearest and most succinct um, examples of the gospel laid out in Scripture. And so, this is, not, this is not going to be unfamiliar terrain for us here at Love City, thankfully. Um, verses 1 through 8 essentially are telling us salvation or justification, another term, kind of they go hand in hand, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay? Now, I didn't give the folks this um, sermon because I, I wanted you to just listen to me read this, okay? This is, this is more evidence that this is true because the, the, the question I'm answering is, Salvation, sanctification, and sin. How does all this work together? So first, um, though this is something we talk about a lot, I want to be very clear about how salvation happens. Where does that come from? What is it um, that determines whether or not we are saved? Okay, so now I'm going to read you Ephesians starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Just listen to this. This is another, I, I would say 1 Corinthians 15 and Ephesians 2 could get in a street fight over who's a clear example of, of the gospel laid out plainly, okay? I don't know who would win. Here it is, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. What's that sound like, Love City? It's something we we normally call what? The bad news. That's right. Good. You passed the test. The bad news, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Right, Because we're, we're big about the good news around here. We're big about the fact that Jesus has saved us through the power of his gospel. We're also big about the fact that that doesn't make a lot of sense unless you understand the bad news. And we're, we're, seeing, things that, we're seeing things like all of us formerly walked according to the course of this world. All of us were dead in our sins. So all of us together collectively were in a lot of trouble without Christ. So... Um, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Whew, that's bad news. And four is the pivot point. But God. Woo, come on, man. If you've experienced grace in this place, just to hear that but God, man, something ought to, mm, on the inside of you, man. Well, because I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Do you remember what that was like? Can you remember? I remember, man, putting my head on my pillow and having no reason to believe that anything was ever going to get better and vexing with anxiety over the darkness that consumed me. I remember what that was like. But God, what else happened? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead, In our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Man, those are good verses right there. I feel like I could sit down. That's good. Okay. So here, what, what did all that tell us, right? So what did 1 Corinthians 15 tell us? What did, what did Ephesians 2 tell us? What, what, what is a summary of everything we just read in regards to salvation? The transition from death to life, from darkness to light, from slave to free, is by grace through faith. It is only by the grace of God that we go from rebels and wretches to his sons and daughters. This is how salvation works. By faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we are justified and made righteous. Our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Our position is now in Christ. We are allowed to wear his robes of righteousness. We are redeemed, and we are given, this is key, the beautiful gift of relationship with God the Father. Praise God for that. That's salvation. That's how salvation works. Now, my great hope is that was just a primer that I really needed to come in and work into sanctification. My great hope is um, if you've been here more than five minutes that you could have preached that part. Amen. Now, let's move on to sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is related to the word saint, and they both have to do with holiness. To sanctify something is to set it apart for a specific purpose. To sanctify someone is to make him or her holy. Now, let's, we focus in for, to, to, for the answer to the question of how salvation works. We looked at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. We also went over to Ephesians 2. Now, to begin to work on this idea of sanctification, we're going to start 1 Corinthians 15 back to verse 9, Okay. Looking at verse 9 through 11, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is Paul, of course. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So here's the key. Not only did grace make Paul what he was, right? That's the salvation part. He said, I am what I am because of one reason, and that's grace. It wasn't, it wasn't me. It was by God's grace. However, he also says this. It was, also, it was not just grace that saved him. It was grace that empowered him to work hard, pouring himself out for the sake of the gospel. Look at it. So he says... Uh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And so I think most of us have a firm grasp, hopefully, on the fact that it is by grace that we are saved. But I think for some of us, there might be a disconnect sometimes, understanding that the power of God's grace is not just for our saving, but it is also for this process of sanctification. There was a power in God's grace, and it is sustaining, and it, it's what Paul says empowered him. And if you know about Paul's life, you know, he's, he's making a big call here. He said, I worked harder than the rest of the apostles. I mean, I don't know if they all agreed with that or if this was a scuffle afterwards between them, but uh, I think they all loved each other and probably got over it. But at the end of the day, Paul's probably right. I mean, this brother traveled around, shipwrecked several times, gave himself, poured himself out all the way for the planting of churches all over 
the region where he was at for the furthering of the gospel. And so he, he says that that process of sanctification, of, of, of him um, being empowered by God to do what it is he was called out and set apart to do, that that also was by God's grace. That's important. There is two parts to sanctification. Some would say three. We're, we're going to focus on two. The two parts commonly are referred to as positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. I don't necessarily care if you remember these terms, but the principles are, are paramount in their importance, okay? So, first of all, positional sanctification uh, is much like justification, which goes along with salvation. So, we are, we are, we are justified by grace through faith in Christ. What, what does that justified mean? So you see the word justice in there, right? So we were all dead in our sins. We all deserve the punishment. That's not what happened. Instead of justice, we got mercy, but because we got mercy through the finished work of Christ, then we were made to be justified. That is tied in then with our salvation. Also, there is a positional sanctification. We also, in all of that that Christ accomplished for us at the cross, we are also to a degree sanctified. Uh, we're told this in Hebrews 10.10. 10. Uh, so if you want to look that up later, it, it, it ties in with all of the redemptive work of Christ and what he did there that we are, we are justified and also to a degree sanctified. We have been sanctified and set apart for good works and the spreading of the truth of the gospel to the world. So there, there is to some degree some sanctification that has happened. However, the fact is that positionally, we, we have been made righteous before God. Right? That, that has happened because of Jesus. But that does not mean, I think we all know this, that we are completely free from the temptation to sin. Does everyone understand that? Or has anybody figured out a way somehow that they're never ever tempted to sin anymore? Because if you have, then just raise your hand and I'll sit down. Or you jump up here. No takers? Okay. Right. So we have to deal with that. Because we are justified, we are we are sanctified, and that's where we get this idea of, of positional and progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification, we have been made righteous in the sight of God because of Christ. We get to wear his garments instead of our own filthy rags, and so we are seen as righteous. So to, to a degree, there is a positional sanctification, but there is also then, because <coughs> that doesn't mean that the temptation of sin has, has totally gone away, then there's also this other part. Of, of progressive sanctification. So, so we're not completely free from the temptation to sin. 1 John 1 8 says this If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay? So, even if you would have put your hand in the air and said, Yep, I've figured out a way that I'm never tempted to sin, I don't ever sin, and there, I'm kind of making light of it, but there's some people that have taken some verses and misunderstood it to mean that because of the sanctification that the, 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 because of the positional sanctification and justification that we have because of what Christ has done at the cross that we should attain perfection in this life there's people that believe that um, I'm, I'm just real glad that's not true <laughs> and not what the Lord's asking me to do um, I'm, I'm not I'm also not just reveling in the fact that I'm, I'm this wretched sinner and I sin all the time. And, I'm, and you know, we're not going to do that either, get on the false humility side and just 
talk more about, about the fact that we fail than the fact that God empowers us by his grace to resist sin and temptation, right? We're not going to overcorrect, but um, I'm a few clicks short of perfection as we stand today. So uh, thankful for God's grace and mercy on me. Um, so though we are made positionally justified before God and we are forgiven by him, we are still not perfect, okay? So position, there is some positional sanctification that's already happened because of Jesus. Progressive sanctification is the ongoing, and this is really where that was kind of all leading up to this, and then we're going to deal with it. Progressive sanctification is the ongoing process of us becoming more like Jesus. Uh, it's said another way in Romans 8.29 that we are being conformed to the image of God's Son, Right, So there is this progressive, there is this continual process of sanctification that God is working in our lives, uh, and it's for our good, and it's for his glory, and for the joy of everyone involved. So um, the truth is, many have a difficult time understanding how we have need for ongoing sanctification if we are justified by faith and our sins are forgiven. Okay, so sometimes people are like, well... If, if Christ died for our sins and God exists outside of time, you know, the, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth, then all of our sins in, in that sense are covered past, present, and future. Then, then why does it matter? Because if I stumble in sin, it's going to be forgiven. So what is, what is the need for this ongoing process of, of sanctification? Um, I think the, the issue there sometimes is a hyper-focus upon the fact that we are saved and justified and thus going to spend eternity with God. So if you're listening, you understood that the preacher just told you you might be over-focused on eternity, right? So <laughs> hold on, let me circle around. No doubt the fact that we have been justified by grace and the mercy of God, and that means we're going to get to spend eternity with Jesus that is an awe-inspiring an awe fact. And um, I try not to use awe-inspiring unless I mean it. It's awe-inspiring. It's like stand there with your mouth open and a glaze over your eyes kind of awe-inspiring. Like, how can I even come to, to terms with how beautiful that fact is that because of Jesus, I'm going to be with God for eternity? That's beautiful. It's an awe-inspiring fact to contemplate that, but it must not cause us to forget the beautiful truth that we are not just saved for a future glory, but we are also saved for relationship with God right now. Right now. And this, I think, is, is a big part of the key. So, in trying to think of an example, I'm going to out myself, so you guys will enjoy this. <clears throat> um, the, scriptures, the scriptures say that Jesus is the groom, and his church is the bride, right? So the Bible uses this really beautiful language of, of marriage and that covenant to help us understand how it is Jesus relates to us as his church. And so um, in, in thinking through that and trying to help us understand like why sanctification still matters and if like our sins are forgiven, then, then why worry about it kind of deal, right? Because I think that's where some people get with it. Um, and so, uh, 
But in, in thinking through marriage, so, so this last week, um, I had somewhere I was supposed to be early in the morning. Uh, it was a funeral, actually, and I was, I was rushed because I had other stuff that happened and la da 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 um, And so I'm thinking, I'm like trying to figure out what I'm going to put on to wear. And so um, I pull, pull a suit out of the closet, and, and you, know, you know the pants are wrinkly because I'm in a rush. So the pants are wrinkly, and then I'm like... I'm already kind of agitated and whatever because I'm behind and, and so the attitude's already not headed in the right direction. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to wear a dress shirt, a tie, and, and put on some jeans. And um, part of God's grace to me is that he let me be married to Natalie. Um, and that's part of God's grace to you because I'd probably be up here in like some sweatpants and uh, like a cutoff vest or something. So, because um, that's just what's comfortable. So um, she hears... And I wasn't even really talking to her or, like, involving her in this monologue. Like, I'm, I'm just going to put some jeans on, and I'm doing my thing. She's like, well, <laughs> here, she, here comes gentle, gentle, lovely Natalie. What, are, uh, um, what about some khakis? And I'm like, you know what, fine, I'll just wear the suit pants. <laughs> like a six-year-old, seriously. I'm like, because I'm already, I'm frustrated, and I'm late, and I'm like, whatever. And, and, and I just, I don't like dress pants. Let me just say it out loud, okay? So there. <laughs> You got it. It's out in the open. So, but, you know, I was going to a funeral, and I needed to wear some dress pants, people. Let's just be honest. Like, that's the right thing to do. I should have known that. So here she comes, and being, being a sweet helper to me, she says, hey, uh, what about some khakis? I'm like, all right, fine, I'll just wear the suit pants. And so I, I kind of got an attitude. It wasn't like a big deal, and I wasn't, like, real mean about it. But, like, for, you know, she's helping me. I shouldn't have snapped at all or had any kind of bad attitude about any of it because it's all ridiculous and you know, so um, on we go, I, I get dressed, this and that, and then um, as I'm doing that, of course, instantly the Lord's dealing with me like, you chump, she's trying to help you, not look like an idiot, so go apologize to her, and so um, I did, I went and, I went and uh, hugged her and said, hey, that was, that was silly, I don't know why I talked to you like that, I'm really sorry, and um, the, the question I want to ask you is, in, in this, so Remember why I'm telling you this story, because I'm trying to help you understand why, like, we should still, even though the Lord has forgiven us, and even though the Lord has made us righteous, and even though um, our eternity with him um, is determined by, by, by grace through faith, and, like, that's, that's kind of a separate deal from this ongoing process of sanctification, like, why it still matters, why I should care still um, when, when I do things that are disobedient to him. And, and I would ask you this question, like, do you, why do you think I apologize to Natalie? I mean, the Lord dealing with me set that aside, but then in addition to that, why, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever come to her and repent if I don't treat her well or if I, if I don't speak as, 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 as well to her as I should or whatever? Um, I don't do that. I, I didn't come and apologize to her about being a punk about the dress pants because I thought she was going to divorce me over that. Okay, but I think that's sometimes how we think about God. There was no chance we were getting divorced over the dress pants, okay? We're doing pretty good. I just want you to know. Like, <laughs> we're that solid, okay? <laughs> dress pants weren't taking us down. Um, but really, no, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything that would make me, there's not a disagreement we could get into that I would think that way because I know she understands covenant and so do I, and we're going to get old and wrinkly together. So we're looking forward to it. But 
my point is, and, and I'm, I don't know if it's connecting, so I'm just, I'm just going to say it as plainly as I can. I didn't come and apologize to her and hug her because I was afraid she was going to leave me over that. I, ca- I came and apologized and hugged her because I love her. Because like, I, I really love her, and I like, really care if we're okay. I really care if our relationship is good. And my anticipation is and my hope is that the longer I'm with her, that the stronger that relationship's going to get, that the closer I'm going to be to her, that the better I'm going to know her, that the less often I'm going to be a punk about dress pants and i.e. whatever the next example is, right? Um, and I'm, I'm growing with her, and, and I, I want to I love her more next week than I do this week. You see what I'm talking about, though? I'm not really talking about my marriage. I'm talking about how sanctification works. Like, the reason we should care about whether we're sinning or not is, is not because we're afraid God's going to divorce us over this thing. It's because I love him. It's because I don't want to disobey him. It's be, I, I know he's not going to reject me. That's what makes me want to sin less. Even, even, that simple fact makes me want to obey him more. And also, I've also bought into this idea. We need to bind this idea, friends, that when we obey him, it's not ever that we're giving away something that would have been the best. Every single time I obey him instead of doing some other knuckleheaded thing, I have picked the route to greatest joy. I have picked the route to the best possible outcome. Because all that he commands of me is for my good. And so if I believe that about him, if I believe his great love for me, if I believe the truth of his promises, then it, it, makes, this, it makes this process of sanctification not painful. That's how this whole thing, Jesus said, my burden is light. And most of us treat being a Christian, like, it's this super heavy burden because there's all this stuff I want to do that no, I don't get to do. You know what I'm saying? But here's the problem. Like, we got to take, we got to push it a step back. Why, why do I want to do that stuff? Probably because to some degree, I'm still believing a lie. Probably to some degree, I'm still not getting it. I still haven't fully understood how that thing is not actually for my good. Because if I know that doing that thing is disobedience to God, then somewhere along the line, I got to realize that thing's going to hurt me. And not doing it and, and doing something instead that is obedient to God is going to be for my good. Love and relationship is, is, and that's part of why I emphasize twice kind of lining this thing up, is that we are not just, this is not a cold contractual thing between us and God. Okay, I believe by faith. Okay, now I, now I got, you know, now he stamped my salvation card. Okay, I can stick that in my wallet and I know that when that day comes I can pull that thing out and I'm in. We are not saved to a contract with the God of the universe. Understand, friends, we are saved to a vibrant and passionate and loving relationship with him. And so that's what's going on here. That's, that's what sanctification is based upon, that I'm growing closer to him I, than, I, than I want to. And, and the beauty is the more and more you taste and see that the Lord is good, the more and more you are a part of that process, the closer you get to him, and the more and more you're intimate with him, the, the, the more you realize that it's beautiful and the more you desire that instead of the things that you thought uh, you were going to have to sacrifice. It comes out in the wash that, that none of that is really sacrifice at all. That putting down those things in the end is, is, ends up being for our good and leads to greater joy than we could have ever accomplished having held on to them. And so um, sanctification is in large part <clears throat> growing closer to the God that loves us. And um, I think that makes it sound a a little more fun than how sometimes it's put. (laughs) Quit sinning. (laughs) Well, why? That's the thing, man. We got to get. That's what Jesus did all the time. He didn't just stop at the knock it off. He would push you to the next level of of why. Why does it matter? What? 
why should you want to knock it off, right? It's, guys, it's exhausting. You know it's exhausting. That if, if this is not how it's working for you, if all of the things you're trying to not do because you don't want to tick God off, or all the things you're trying to do because you think that'll make God happy, if you're doing all of that not based out of a relational, loving motivation, and you're doing it out of um, fear uh, that he's going to be angry at you, or anxiety that you're going to be outed, or pride that somehow, you know, this makes you a better person than somebody else, there's all these other motive. there's all, a bunch of really crazy motivations for doing things that look like obeying God, and that, that stuff is really exhausting. I mean, because when you take, when you're, because you, what you're dealing with there is you're dealing with the heart that only God has the power to really transform. And so when we as people try to do that, have you ever, have you guys seen these um, exercise bands? Like you can, I don't know, they're about yay big and you can do all kinds of stuff with them and wrap around your neck and, you know, there's probably been all kinds of accidents. Th- th- those things, right? Just imagine, like, imagine if one of the things you can do with those is you can step in them and then you can do, like, presses like this. Well, just imagine getting in one of those things and, and pressing it up and just, and you're holding it. I mean, you might be good for five minutes, but eventually, man, that thing, because of the way it's made and what it's made of, that it's got that elasticity, it's going gonna, it's gonna to snap back and you're going to give out. And at the end of it, you're going to be exhausted and wondering why the heck you just did that. And if that's, anytime a human's trying to just, Make their heart obey. Like, that's what you're doing. Instead, what God can come in and do is he can take that heart and he can melt it down and turn it into clay and he can shape it and form it and then it'll stay that way. That's the difference. And a lot of you have lived really frustrated thinking like, why am, why am I not getting anywhere in my walk with God? And it's because you're doing, you're doing a whole bunch of this stuff <laughs> with the workout band and it keeps snapping back on you. Um, and you've got to understand that what God is asking of us is, is more than behavior modification. He wants your heart. He wants you all the way. And if he can have that, he can do stuff inside of you that you'll never accomplish on your own. So if you find yourself exhausted, straining against sin, I would ask you to just submit these things to God in prayer and see where maybe some of the, the disconnect is and the issues are, okay? Um, Praise God. There has been throughout church history a struggle with understanding the intricacies of how the grace that saves us and the holy law of God work together. Some have said that they don't work together, but that grace has done away with the law and done away uh, with any concern that Christians need to have for living a life of holiness. Sometimes they don't say that directly, but the way they preach grace, they, they are saying it, that essentially the law matters not whatsoever. And, and <clears throat> quick caveat, to, to some, to some de- parts of the law, we need not worry about, right? So c- traditionally, the, the law is separated into, into three parts. You've got the moral law, which is like the Ten Commandments uh, and, and some others that are they're in the Old Testament, but they're also repeated in the New Testament. They are tied to the very character and nature of God and they, they transcend covenant, right? It's, it's all the time what God expects of us as his people because it reflects his character. Things like don't lie, don't kill people, um, you know, <laughs> don't covet other people's stuff, like that, all of that. Um, love me, don't have other gods before me. Those, those, those moral laws, they stand. They're both old and new covenant. Um, then you've also got ceremonial laws, okay? So these were specific to Israel. They had to do with the way Israel was worshiping in that time 
um, as far as, you know, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, all of that deal, uh, the ceremonial washings. Jesus came and fulfilled that. He is the high priest. We no longer go through that process. Those, those, that part of the law is fulfilled. We need not worry about it. You also had civil law that had to do with the fact that at that time, Israel was a theocracy. That means God was the king, and he had a set of laws for the way he was running the show at that time that Israel had to obey, okay? So those also are fulfilled in Christ. Those are done for. We don't worry about those because, unfortunately, we're not living in a theocracy right now, in case you didn't notice, okay? So that's not the way it is at this moment. Um, that would be best case scenario, but, but that's not what happened. Uh, thankfully, ancient Israel cried and begged for a king like a bunch of ninnies, and God gave it to them, and so here we are today. Woo! Election year. All right. Um, <laughs> God's sovereign. I digress. All right. You guys with me on that? Why did I tell you that? Because sometimes people will say, well, why do you think you still have to do the Ten Commandments? You shave the side of your face, and you eat shellfish. Ha, gotcha. Your Bible's dumb. There's different kinds of laws, Okay. That's why I told you that. And also to say that when the law, the law that I'm speaking of is, the, is that moral law, okay, that kind of give, points us towards the character of God, gives us that, that kind of compass for um, our, our actions and behaviors, okay? So um, and, and the way some people preach, it's like because Jesus came and because of grace, you know, we can crumple the law up and, and just boot it out of here. We don't have to think about it. Don't have to deal with it, and that's that's a problem because Jesus said He did not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law. Okay, and so the law and grace they work together. But if so, if, what am I talking about? So if you if if you're listening to preachers that won't say words like sin, if you're listening to preachers that will not speak about the imperatives of the scriptures. Okay, what do I mean by imperatives? I mean there's a bunch of times in the New Testament where the Bible says, "Don't do this." anymore. Okay? That's an imperative. That's, that's a rule. We still, we still have some guidelines even though we are under grace. The beauty is, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and what, what he went through is that if we were left to ourselves, we wouldn't follow any of those imperatives, but it's actually by God's merciful grace and his power that we do. Right? So not only did he say don't do that, but he says I'm going to give you the power not to do that. I'm going to help you so that that's not a heavy yoke around your neck. That's not a, a heavy chain dragging you down. Yes, I'm going to give you commands, but I'm also going to be the power source through the help of the Holy Spirit that helps you to do it. What a good God. How, why, did, why would anybody not want to serve him? Man, he thought of everything. Didn't he? It's awesome. Some, so that's that side. Some have emphasized holiness and following the law to the point that grace is rendered powerless. These are both distortions of the truth and the power of the gospel. To give you <clears throat> an example of this, the early church fathers, a lot of them, how they wrote, they were kind of like C.S. Lewis. They were very pictorial in the way they thought through doctrine and stuff. And so sometimes that can be helpful. It's helpful for me. Um, There's an early church father's name was Tertullian. And <clears throat> he said it this way. He said, the gospel is ever crucified between two thieves. These two thieves are legalism, um, sometimes called moralism. I don't like that as much because it's not bad to be moral. Um, but legalism, which is like works-based righteousness. I'm okay with God because I do the law and because I white-knuckle it and I got it under control. So you've got that thief on this side, legalism. And the other side is relativism, 
or, or a term that some of you may hear. Don't, don't click out. If you've never heard this before and this, this, this bums you out, don't worry about it. But if you've heard this before, I just want you to know this, this thief is kind of tied up with relativism. It's antinomianism, okay? What, what is that? Anti, against, nomos, law, anti-law, okay? That, so that's essentially sort of break it down to street-level vernacular. That's your freewheeling Christian that says, Woo, because of grace, I can do what I want, right? They're just, they're just doing it. They're just doing them, living life, don't have to worry about anything. Grace, yeah, yeah, but, but the New Testament says we still shouldn't do that. Grace, well, you've misunderstood, friend, okay? So the problem is you've got thieves on either side. They're, they're opposite of each other, and then you've got the gospel, which is not like a midpoint between the two. It's a completely third way, and it's totally different, and it's the truth, okay? So... How do legalism and how do relativism, how do they steal power from the gospel? Like this, okay? If you're a legalist and you think about the gospel, you think about the fact that Jesus died for us, um, you think about the fact that uh, he lived a perfect life in our place, that, that, that he willingly surrendered himself so that we could be saved and that he rose from the grave. The legalist thinks about that and thinks, well, yeah, I mean, or you, or you tell a legalist, God, God loves you. And they think, yeah, of course God loves me. Of course God accepts me. I'm a moral person. I know a bunch of people way worse than me, and I, I'm fairly good. Why wouldn't God love and accept me? That steals power from the gospel. That doesn't leave you. That, if you think that way, you're not going to be in awe of the fact that God loves you and accepts you. You're not going to understand that you were dead in your sins and that Absolutely, it's only by grace and mercy that you even breathe in this moment, right? The legalist thinks, yeah, I mean, I, I did it. I'm, I'm pretty moral. Can't remember the last time I said a cuss word. Check me out, right? Here's the deal. Here's the other way that works. Here's the other part of how legalism can steal power from the gospel is oftentimes if you, and I, and I want to say this too, nobody gets it perfect, all of us, at, at, at any time we look at it, are to some degree pulled to the left and to the right. And I don't, I don't mean politically. I mean either towards legalism or towards relativism. It's, it's a constant struggle. And that's why we need to have sermons like this where we talk about sanctification. We talk about these, these terms. And, and that's why we constantly have to have the gospel. Uh, Martin Luther said that we have to constantly talk about the gospel and beat it into their heads. Martin Luther was kind of a savage dude, but um, he's right about that. Like, I need the gospel beat into my head because when I walk out of here, I'm going to walk into a cultural landscape that is completely anti-gospel. And I don't mean it's all, I'm not being an alarmist and all weird about it being anti-God. I'm just talking about there's nothing else in this life that works like the gospel does. Where else are you going to find a setup where you do all the bad, somebody else does all the good, and then you get to have all the good? Is that how it works at your work? You sit on your butt all week and do a terrible job and mess everything up. Somebody else does an excellent job and you get a raise. Is that how it works? Is that how the world works? No. How the world works is if you do the crime, you do the time, right? How the world works is you, you get what you go out there and get, what you work for. And that's, when it comes to your work and all of that, that's, that's how it should be. But when it comes to salvation, it couldn't have worked that way. Do you get that, friends? That's why we can't be a legalist. You see that? 
It can't be that way when it comes to salvation. Because what's required for salvation is righteousness and perfection. And no matter how hard we worked, we would have never got there. That's why Jesus had to step in. That's why we needed a Savior. And I'm so thankful we have one. Praise God. So here's the other way legalism will start to hurt you. Um, you'll start to feel like, as a legalist sometimes, that as you're, you're getting better at not doing bad stuff and you're getting better at doing more good stuff, you'll start to imagine that the ledger where like you got your bad stuff and your, and your good stuff and you knew you were way in the red towards the bad stuff, you'll start to feel like, I'm doing good, a lot of good things, I'm doing less bad things. You'll start to feel like you're maybe starting to pay God back for how good he's been to you. Like, and, and, and sometimes our motivation gets twisted on why we do good things. Sometimes, sometimes we can do beautiful things that look like they're godly, but what really we're doing in our head and heart is we think we're paying God back. According to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that's not possible because he said that I labored even more than all of them. I poured my life out to plant churches and preach the gospel. Yet not I, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And so what we have to realize, friends, here's why, here's why that perversion of legalism um, is, is a terrible lie. Because when we imagine ourselves starting to do less bad things and more good things and somehow fill, getting our ledger back to the black with God like we're paying him back more, here's what we, understand, here's what we misunderstand. What is Paul saying? Every time I resist sin, so every time I don't do a bad thing, or every time I do a good thing, Paul says it was done by what? By grace. So what does that actually mean? That means every time I resist sin, it's by God's grace. Every time I do something good, it's by God's grace. And so actually, every time I do either one of those things, if it was God's grace that allowed me to do it, which way is my ledger actually going? I'm going deeper in debt with God in every good thing I do and every bad thing I don't do. Hold on. I know you're freaking out, but just give me a second. Here's why this is okay, and here's why it's beautiful. Paul said, look, man, there's no way we're ever going to pay the debt back, so let's just get that square. Every single time, we're, we're getting better and more like God. We're, we're sinning less, and we're doing more things that are motivated by love and for other people. Actually, because that's done by grace and it's done by the power of God, our debt to him only grows. But here's the beauty of it, and here's why that's a good thing. What is it that he requires of us? We can't do good things or not do bad things to pay him back. But what has he said he really does want from us? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbors yourself. It's going to automatically happen. As that relationship with God grows and that love grows inside of you, you're going to start loving people that normally you would have hated. You're going to want to start helping people that normally you would have ignored. And all this stuff that you don't even know how it's happening is going to start happening. And the beauty is what God wants from us is not for us to try to pay him back by doing a bunch of things we perceive to be good or not doing a bunch of things that we perceive to be bad. What he wants from us is to love him. And what's that going to lead to? When you really get into that, when you really start to realize what's happening, when the, the bad habits are falling away, when the things that used to cause devastation in your life, when those are no longer temptations, and when your life starts to be overcome with the love of God, and you're experiencing the true and beautiful joy of being a servant instead of a taker, when all that starts to happen, what, what is the response going to be? What's going to happen? 
what, what flows out of that then is, is worship. And so when you're in this deal, man, you realize, what does God want from me? Well, he just, he just wants me to love him. And as I love him and as he transforms me because I'm loving him, because I'm trusting him, because I'm submitting myself underneath the, the mighty hand of his grace, more and more. That means every single time. Because here's the problem. When, you, when you're on that legalist thing, you could, you could go out with us on a Wednesday night. And you could feed homeless people and you get back in your car and you could go, Maybe not actively, but up here. You can start to think, doing pretty good. I just spent four hours feeding homeless folks. Pretty spiritual. <laughs> doing pretty good. Or you could, you could be sitting there in, in that time that, you know, most of the time you would end up hitting that, that button that would lead you to that website that you know you shouldn't be on, right? And, 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 and you... And you stop and you think about what it is you actually want, what it is you actually need. And you, you stop and by God's grace, you realize that's not going to lead to joy. I'm going to be devastated at the end of it, just like I am every other time. You know what? No, I'm not doing it. You could resist that sin. And then you can sit back in your chair and you can go, getting pretty spiritual, not falling into temptation anymore. See the problem? What happens when you think about that wrong, when you think about your, all your good things are not bad things like you're paying God back, you end up doing what? Self-worship. You end up starting to think, I'm awesome. Then pride comes through the back door. Isn't that crazy that the devil can get you because you think you're obeying God? Get you prideful and pull you away from the Lord. So here's the deal. Every single time, here's what we need to do, friends. Every single time we resist temptation, every single time we don't do that thing we would have normally done, every single time we don't cop an attitude with our wife because she made us wear dress pants, okay? What we need to do is worship. What we need to do is say, thank you, God, for your grace in this moment. I can see it. I realize that where I would have failed before, I'm not failing now, and it's not because of me. It's because of you. And how much more would our life be filled with worship if every single time that thing, those things were happening, we're doing more good things or we're doing less bad things, it led us to worship. It wouldn't have to be this laborious, okay, it's worship time, right? Our life would begin to be an overflow because I don't know about you. There's a whole bunch of times I know by God's grace I'm not doing something bad that I would have before. And there's a whole bunch of times by God's grace I'm doing something good that I would not have before. And so every single time I need to realize that I'm going deeper into debt with him, but all he wants from me for payback is to love him and to worship him. What kind of deal is that? It's a real good one. You ought to take him up on it. Praise God. We're talking about sanctification. Okay. So that's how legalism can steal power from the gospel. We get into that, I'm paying God back, or we get into, you know, I got this, I, I'm, I'm moral enough that, sure, I, I, I mean, yeah, God, why wouldn't God want me? I'm, I'm pretty awesome. That definitely steals power from the gospel. How does relativism, okay, so that was the one thief on this side of the cross stealing power from the gospel. How does this thief of relativism steal power from the gospel? If, if, you're, if you're kind of a relativist, antinomian, um, of that ilk, you have a very low view of the, the, the wages of sin, but Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's pretty bad, right? So sin's a pretty big deal. We'll get, we'll get to that more in a second. So the wages of sin is death. And, and if, you, if you feel like it's kind of not a big deal, and of course God just loves everybody, why wouldn't he? 
and you kind of have this relativistic, you know, Candyland view of the whole situation, um, you would just say, well, yeah, God, God accepts me. God loves everybody. There's, why would you be enamored with the fact? I mean, you would, you, what relativism does in that way, what antinomianism does in that way, is it, it takes away from us an ability to even understand why the cross needed to happen. And you'll find that oftentimes, is people will say, well, I don't know what. If you hear somebody say this, you, you can now understand where they're coming from. I don't see why Jesus had to die. You've heard somebody say, I have had people say that to me. I don't see why Jesus had to die. Why couldn't God just love us? Friend, you don't understand. You don't understand that sin was a serious problem, and it had to be dealt with. Somebody had to pay a price to fix the problem. Thank God, by his grace, he did not require the price of us, but then decided to pay it himself, right? And you, you, can, you can have this flowery, candy-land idea of God, but here's the problem with that. If my God sacrificed everything in order to have me, and your God sacrificed nothing because he just kind of just loves everybody, which, which God actually loves more? I'll say the God that cost him something to have me. Wouldn't you? And, and it's, that's, furthermore, that's not even the point. The point is, sin is devastating. Sin caused separation between mankind and God. Sin was a problem that could not just be overlooked because as much as God is loving, which he is infinitely loving, he is also perfectly just. Those things are not in contradiction. Those things kiss at the cross. God's mercy and God's justice are able to embrace at the cross of Christ because both are fulfilled. You see that. Mercy to you and justice because the wrath of God is poured out upon Christ. He bears the burden of it so that we can be saved. Amen. I decided to say it long and drawn out because you missed the opportunity. That was a good spot right there. Okay, I'm going to teach this church something. When I go that far to ridicule you about it, then just say amen. So everyone practice what it sounds like. Go ahead, say it. Amen. There you go. Good. All right. We got it now. At least I know you can say it. All right. So that's legalism, relativism. Now, what does the gospel say? So legalism has you so cool that, of course, God loves me. Relativism has you, well, yeah, why wouldn't God love everybody? What's the big deal about sin and stuff? Like, kumbaya. What's the gospel say? The gospel leads us to this place of an absolute, awestruck love of God the Father. It leads us to a place of being completely undone and overcome by the sheer beauty and majesty of his grace and mercy. To understand the truth of the gospel pushes legalism and relativism down in the dust where they belong, and it puts us in a place of humble worship and adoration of the God who has been so good to us in Christ. And it is the truth. Okay, so I want to boil this down. So I've got it down to two questions. Are we saved by grace and accepted by God? I want you to answer, okay? I know it's so scary because there's other people around. But the answer is so obvious. You can do this, friends. Do it. Go out on a limb with me, okay? Are we saved by grace and accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, we are. Now, this one you might be tricked on, so don't, you don't have to do this one out loud. If, so that's true. Yes, we are saved by grace and accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
then does it matter when we sin? Yes. It still matters. Let me read you a couple of verses just in case you're not sure. Matthew 5, verse 29. This is Jesus speaking. It's a quote. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Woo, you ain't going to hear that verse on TV, are you? No, you are not. <laughs> That's why, we, yeah, we probably ain't going to have a TV ministry up in here. We put it on the internet, they can't stop us from doing that. Here's another one for you. Hebrews 12, 14. Here's what it, it tells us, to pursue peace with all men and seek after the sanctification. Some translations say holiness, seek after the holiness, without which none will see the Lord. Okay, so what, what were we answering? Does it matter if we sin? Okay. Jesus said, if you're right, I makes you sin. Pull it out of your face and throw it away from you. <laughs> okay. Now, I mean, there's stories throughout church history of people doing stuff like this. Um, and that tells me they were really, really serious about not wanting to um, violate the beauty of the relationship they have with God the Father. Um, I think there's a lot of things we could do just short of that. Um, you know, so by God's grace, we have opportunity for accountability. Um, one of the best things you can do, man, if you're struggling in a consistent sin that is repetitive and you know it's got its, its claws into you, uh, is out yourself. Tell somebody. Get brothers or sisters in Christ to come in and, and be a part of that process with you. Hold you accountable um, to be praying for you and with you, asking God that by his uh, strength and by his grace that he would um, help you to be set free from that. So involving other people in it. Not First uh, John says to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because if we walk in the, and have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light. Because if we walk in the darkness, we stay trapped, okay? Um, but the, the bottom line of me saying all that and bringing those verses up is simply to answer the question, does it matter when we sin? Did Jesus know, <laughs> did, did Jesus know what was going to happen with the cross and the tomb and the whole new covenant deal? You think like he had most of the details of what was going on? Yes, he did. And he still said, you need to be serious about sin. It still matters. It's still something we have to war against. It's still something that, it's, it's not because of grace now everything goes. And, and we, just, we just celebrate our failings and, and and Paul said that, didn't he? Do I sin all the more so as to glorify the power of the gospel? May it never be. But, but, but that is the track that oftentimes happens. And, and, and the reality is it's, it's funny. Depending on, it's not funny, it's frustrating, but you say funny because you don't want to be frustrated in front of people. So it's funny. It's funny. When, a lot of, when you preach the gospel to a legalist, they are going to think you're antinomian. They're going to think you're a relativist. When you preach the gospel to a relativist, you're going to sound like a legalist. Uh, that's always the way it happens. Because, because you know, the, the relativist is so focused on, on the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. Listen, I'm big on the love of God, but part of what Hebrews says is part of what the love of God is, is he's going to discipline you like a father that loves his son. And if that chastisement and that discipline isn't there, some of your translations say you're a bastard child. I don't want to be that. I want to be a son. And so I'm thankful for the discipline of the Lord. I'm thankful he deals with sin because of what sin is. I know what it is. That is a heavy burden to bear. 
if all, I, if all I was carrying was the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and, and thankfulness because of how good he's been to me, if that's the burden I had to carry, and then being willing to share the goodness of God with other people, that's an exceptionally light load. But if I have to carry the guilt of all of my sin and shame and the condemnation and everything that comes with it, that's crushing. So thankfully, by God's grace, I don't have to carry that. It is a light load to carry uh, what it is Jesus has actually put upon us. Amen. I would say from Matthew 5.29, talking about throwing eyes away from us, and Hebrews 12.14 that tells us that we need to seek after the holiness without which none will see the Lord, it seems like sin still matters. Right? But why? Okay? There's hundreds of reasons, but here's two. Because of what I told you earlier, we relate to God both positionally but also relationally, right? So when, when we sin, it's not just about whether or not we're already forgiven through Christ. It's not just about this, the, the, the legal side of this thing where, yes, Christ is our advocate. Yes, he's standing in for us. Yes, he's making intercession for us. Yes, we are forgiven by God. And what a beautiful truth that that is. But that's not the, it's not just the courtroom side. Because, over, yes, God is judge, but over here, relationally, I've got God as father. And so me sinning, is, it's not just about whether or not it can be forgiven. That's not the whole point. The other point is the fact that I've, I've rebelled against the daddy that loves me that much. I've rebelled against a God that loves me that much. And so I need to care about that. I need to care about the relationship. That's why I told you about the pants thing. I did not want to tell you guys about that. That sounds so dumb on my part. But it was a good example of the fact that it's, it's not just the fact that me and that woman have a covenant. This, it's not just that we have this, this, this kind of cold agreement, like we're going to stick together, and so that's why I'm going to be nice to you, or that's why I'm going to talk to you. If that's what the whole thing was about, that would be terrible. And many people, that's how they relate to God. That's as much as they've got. But the reason I'm nice to my wife, and the reason why I love her, and the reason I want to hug her, and the reason that I like being around her is, is not just because we've agreed by covenant. I, I love her. And I have a relationship with her. And I, wanna, I, I want that to be better and continue to grow. And, and that's, that's what God wants with us. Amen? I hope you're happy about that. I can't tell from your faces, but I hope you're happy about it. I am. So we relate to God both positionally and relationally. Also, God rejoices and is glorified in our sanctification. Here's another reason we should care about sin. This is another reason we shouldn't just stay trapped in habitual, repetitive sin. This is another reason we shouldn't act like grace is, is, a, is a reason to not fight and push back against temptation. Is because God rejoices and he is glorified in our sanctification. As we grow to become more like Christ, as we are more and more conformed to the image of Christ, that, that literally, so on, on the one side, I don't want to sin and disobey God because I don't want to displease him. Now, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Um, God's not going to treat me bad about it, but I just, I, just, I just love him so much. Like, I don't want to create distance between us. I don't, I don't want to take steps back. I want to I come closer and closer to him, right? And so th there's, there's that, but also, I, on the flip side, like, I want to do things that make him smile, <laughs> I don't just want to not take him off or disappoint him. Like, I want to do things because of how much I love him. Like, I want him to be pleased with me. I want him, like, you know, God doesn't have days, but, like, I want to be a good day son. Like, not the, you know, facepalm son all the time. Like, uh, again, you know, uh, I, I just want to please him. 
And, and, and so he rejoices in our sanctification, and he's glorified. Friends, doesn't it make sense? Like, like you know, some of us in here were real bad. Like, and I mean us because I'm in it. Like, some of us, we, we were the nasty ones, you know, like, just, just so bad. Um, and everybody has sin, everybody has darkness, but some people's is just more overt and, and obvious. And I'm telling you right now, um, God is glorified when any of us is sanctified. But man, man, you really nasty ones, just think about the people that know you in your life and have watched what God has done. Have watched you know, they know what you used to do. They know how you used to talk. They know how you used to treat people. They know how you used to deal with situations. And God has grabbed a hold of your heart, and you are, you are being changed. You are being sanctified. You are being molded and shaped into the image of Christ. And that, that screams to the world that there's a reality to this Bible, that this gospel is true, that there is power in the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus. Many people will be tempted to uh, take this discussion where they want to take almost every discussion about, you know, what we're talking about is salvation, sanctification, and sin. Um, but some people will, will they'll understand that you could link some of these implications to this constant bickering over can you lose your salvation, Okay. First of all, salvation is not a sock in the dryer, and you just don't lose it, okay? Let's just get that plain. Lose your salvation is dumb terminology, period, okay? Everyone good with that? Let's all agree. Yes. All right. Um, but secondly, we need to, I think we need to ask ourselves why our minds are always going there. I, I think to some degree there's this, there's this fascination with that question because maybe, maybe we click, you know, for those of for those of you that have that tendency to always be thinking, tying the implications to whether or not you can lose your salvation, maybe your click away from the gospel tends towards that legalism side and you're more concerned about like, well, I just want to know like if I'm going to make it in the end, right? Like I just want to know about the heaven part. You, you may maybe not so concerned about the relationship and the here and now and, and what all God's doing in your life. And so um, I, I would just encourage you to like if, if, if that's what you're thinking about in, in all that I'm talking about, I'm just going to encourage you by God's grace and, and by the help of his Holy Spirit, like ask God to help you understand your motives. Why are you always at that question? I, personally, I think it's the wrong question the vast majority of the time. Normally, there's other better questions like, um, do you want to sin? Do you not want to sin? Like, do you really love the Lord? What motivates you? What's, what's going on in here? Like, those are, those are better questions. Um, and, and, and the other thing I would say is, <laughs> at the end of it all, whether you believe you can walk away from the Lord or not, you must believe that fighting against your own sin by the grace of God is a vital part of the Christian life. And we have to believe that nobody should be obeying God simply so they don't go to hell. Friends, if you're just obeying God so you don't go to hell, you're missing the point. And, and you're steeped deeply in legalism, and you're, you're, eventually you'll crash and burn. You won't make it under that. You won't, we won't make it without the grace of God. We should be obeying God because he loves us and we love him. Bottom line. So, overall, thus far we have established that we are saved by grace and sanctified by grace. 
And part of that sanctification is hard work by us to put sin to death and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. I know some of you in here won't like the idea that I said we have to work hard. I'm going to ask you to go back and look at 1 Corinthians 15 and understand that yes, Paul did work hard by grace, but the guy worked hard. And that's an overall ethic that I think we've lost largely, especially in like my generation down, is the idea of hard work. Like we don't want to do that. We all want to think we're the one that's going to work smarter, not harder. And at the end of the day, if you think following after Jesus Christ, the one that spent his ministry walking around in the desert, uh, loving people constantly, no place to sleep, and then ends up dying in our place for our sins when he was perfect, um, if, if, if you're under the delusion that following after him is going to be easy, you, you've probably misunderstood. The burden is light because it's full of joy, but serving Christ, is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult. It's going to cost a bunch, and it's going to really demand a lot of us, uh, but at the end, it's going to be beautiful, uh, and in the middle, it's going to be beautiful. The whole thing is wonderful because you can actually have joy and actually have purpose uh, and be doing something that matters for eternity. And so um, we could never do the hard work by God's grace, without God's grace. Don't get that twisted. It's only by his power that we're going to do any of it. Um, But we are going to have to also exert some effort. Um, Not to be saved, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about walking through the process of sanctification. Um, Praise God. We... We couldn't help with the salvation part. We were dead in our sins, so we were in big trouble. All right. Um, So we've established that we're saved by grace and we're sanctified by grace um, and that that's going to be some hard work to put sin to death and to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that's what's going to be hard work. We are going to have to put work in uh, to put sin to death by God's grace and to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, let's talk about just a couple applications of this, and I know we need to wrap it up, so I'm going to do it. Um, th- these are some of the five or six questions that came in that I kind of grouped into this deal. So I'm, now I've kind of I've kind of given you my thesis. Now I'm going to break down a specific application. Is salvation based upon the state of your heart when you die? That's a question that came in. So here's the example the person gives: Someone lives a terrible life, an immoral life. But truly, in their last moments, they realize that they're, they're, they're sinners and they really, truly ask Jesus to save them. Um, what happens? Well, the thief on the cross who declared uh, that Christ was the Messiah right before he died, and the parable in Matthew 20 of the workers that are hired at different parts of the day but paid the same wage, uh, that tells us that that is possible. Yes, you could, in the very last moments of your life, you could truly, um, by the power of God, be moved. I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about like a planned thing where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do me for 70 years, and then when it comes down, I've got a few breaths left, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw up a, hey, Jesus, will you save me? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not how salvation works. But if truly in the last moments of someone's life, they were gripped in their heart uh, with the reality of their sin, and they called upon God to save them, then absolutely, yes, uh, they would be uh, redeemed by the power of God. Um, however, that would still be tragic. It's cool that they got saved, but it's still tragic because that person missed out on all those years of relationship with God the Father and the joy that comes from obeying Him. So that's still a tragic situation. It's got a silver lining uh, as far as eternity is concerned, but not the best plan for sure. Uh, the other idea, so 
coupled with that question was kind of the inverse of that. So he says, someone is a Christian for a long time, but in the end, they sin. And for whatever reason, they do not have a chance to repent. Does that person go to hell? Um, again, as, as I've said before, and as I'm more convinced the farther along I go, we, we, should, we should, this is hypothetical, we should be he- more hesitant than we are sometimes to declare people's eternal uh, state because you have to really know what was going on in their heart. Now we can, things like baptism and things like life lived, poured out for God, we can see as fruit upon a good tree and, and have a pretty good idea if somebody belonged to Jesus or not. But um, I think we make pronouncements with less information uh, than, than we need oftentimes to, to say that. However, so this, let's just say this person was a genuine Christian, uh, really did love the Lord, sin, committed some sin towards the end of their life, did not repent, dies. Do they go to hell? No. No, they do not. That would be a very weak gospel. Okay? And again, <laughs> again, repentance being a part of the whole sanctification process and what we're doing in that relationship between us and God, confession and repentance, uh, according to 1 John, you know, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. We're not we're not coming to that process so, so that, it says that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Like that, that faithful and just to forgive, like that, that part's done. Like Jesus accomplished that, right? The confessing part is a part of our relationship. It's a part of us coming and giving that to God and, and trusting in that forgiveness that's been purchased for us, right? So it's, it's not that you need to come each time and get a new stamp on your forgiveness card, okay? And I know for some of you, this is going to be a stretch because you've been taught that, um, man, you better think of every single sin you've ever done and you better repent for all of them because if you die with a single unrepentant sin, that you're going to go to hell. And I'm just asking you to think with me for a second. That, that, would, that would be a terrifying gospel message for this reason. How many times it, would you say in general, to some degree, you have, you have sin in your life that you're not aware of? What percentage do you think? 98? <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> pretty high because part of what God is doing in the sanctification process is he's continuing to drill down lower and lower into the chambers of those heart of that heart revealing things that that may be hidden there because I truly believe if God revealed all of everything in, in all the ways that we fall short of his perfection if he dumped all of it on you right now I think you'd just be a blubbering mess laying on the floor and you'd give up <laughs> I'm sorry if he did that to me I'd be a blubbering mess and I would just give up. I'm sure you guys would be fine. No, he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't hit us with all of it at once. He takes us through a process and he reveals as we can handle it and, as, and he leads us and guides us through this, this deal where he is, he is slowly and lovingly conforming us to his image, dealing with us, taking things out of us that are harmful for us uh, and, and adding in things that, that are for his glory. So... Uh, that's, that's, I guess that's my point. We all have sins that we're not aware of most of the time, which means essentially if, if, the, if, the way, if that belief was true, if you die without having repented for a sin, um, that gr- God's grace is null and void, then uh, pretty much every, most Christians would end up in hell, I would say. It would be, be a pretty bad deal, okay? Salvation's not based upon that. It's based upon whether or not you have put faith in Jesus Christ, n- not a perfect repentance record, okay? Now, does that mean you should be less adamant and less fervent and less 
passionate in a few minutes when we take communion and we're silent before the Lord and asking him to show us what sins that we have that we can confess to him and, and believe for his forgiveness for? No, it should mean that you're more so fervent and passionate about wanting to repent of sin so that those things can be removed from your life by God's grace. Because we don't, when we come to the Lord's table in, in, in your own time of prayer, when you're confessing sin to God, you're not just coming to tell on yourself, you're also coming to receive something. It's that grace that empowers us to go and sin no more. You with me? Amen. Okay, uh, one more implication out, out of all of this. What do I do if I realize I'm living out of fear and I'm doubting my salvation? I have ang- anxiety about that. <clears throat> Many times people begin to doubt their salvation because of struggles with sin. Um, and struggles against sin. And, and, and here's the first thing I would say. And, and this might sound like a pat answer, but I'm really serious. I, I believe for the most part, people who aren't saved don't tend to worry a lot about whether they're saved or not. So most of the time, if you're coming to, if, if you're coming to me and we're talking and you're like, I, I'm, you know, you, 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 give, you, you give me all the reasons that you've become, you're freaked out about whether or not you're actually a Christian because you're, you're terrible in this way and this way and this way and this way. Um, the very fact that like you're, we're even having that conversation is going to lean me like on the spectrum of trying to figure out what's going on. I'm already leaning towards you probably belong to the Lord because most people that do not belong to the Lord, let's be honest, they ain't got time for that. They're not really concerned about that, right? They got other stuff on their plate like how can I get more money because I need more shiny stuff, right? Let's be real, okay? So that's my first premise. And here's the questions I would ask. I would ask you to ask yourself this. If you're struggling and you have anxiety about whether or not you're actually trusting the Lord and whether or not you're actually a Christian, uh, so I think some of that comes out of concerns about repetitive sin. Sometimes you just know you're really fearful, and that calls you to question, has God really changed my heart? So I would ask you these questions if I was trying to help you assess. Do you love the Lord? And I don't just mean like I know the Sunday school answer. I'm asking you to think about it. Do you love him? Okay, and, and what's the evidence for it? Do you hate your sin? Are you kind of like, are you antinomian? Are you just like, you know what, grace, and I'm doing me. Is it that type of deal? Or like, are you really vexed by the fact that you are struggling with this sin? Like, is your greatest desire to get rid of it because you, you don't want to live that way and you don't want to disappoint the Lord and you do want to be freed from that so that you can be more effective for God's kingdom? If so, man, that's, that's a, you're a Christian. <laughs> What's going on in your heart? That's, that's what I'm trying to drill down to. What's your greatest desire? Is it, to, is it to do you? Is it to just do what the heck you want? Or is your greatest desire to serve the Lord because you love him? Regardless of whether you're struggling with something or not, that's, that's not the point. Um, I would ask you also, are you asking for God's grace to defeat sin in your life for your good and God's glory? Are you asking for his help? Because maybe thus far you've been doing your best to behavior modify the thing. Thus far you've been doing the exercise band and you can hold it for three months, but then that thing pops you in the face and you're back to totally condemned again, right? I know for a fact that many people in the sound of my voice have played that game. It gets tiring, and then you get to the point where you don't even try to stretch the band anymore because you know what's going to happen. I'm going to get snapped in the face. Here's what I'm saying, friend. Let God come in and do with that heart what needs to be done. By grace, let him take that rubber band, melt it down, and shape it into something that it needs to be. It's only by God's power it's going to happen. Just submit to him. Trust him. Are you asking for his help? 
Again, I would say that's a great evidence that you're a Christian. If you're not, then do that. Um, if, if you are doing these things, I would just encourage you, quit listening to the devil. He's a liar. And put the wasted energy that you were using being anxious about whether or not you're a Christian, put that energy towards working for God's kingdom. Because we've got a big job to do. We're supposed to tell everybody about Jesus. Like 7 billion people, man. So we've got, we got a lot of work to do. All right? So it'd be awesome if you spent less time um, freaked out about whether or not you love God or he loves you, that you would trust um, absolutely that that's true and then tell other people it's available for them. All this is is the devil trying to get you out of the game. If he can have you doubting whether or not God's gospel is true for you, then surely you're not going to have boldness in telling other people that it could be true for them. Okay? I know I'm preaching long. You guys are doing really good. This, I promise you I distilled this as good as I could. This is a really big subject, so I'm, we're almost there. The key to remember in all of this is that we are completely and totally reliant. Here, here, so, all right, this is really, I've boiled it, so get this. This is what all, and all I've said, this is what I'm saying. The key to remember in all of this is we are completely and totally reliant upon the undeserved mercy, grace, and love of God. Not only for our salvation, but also for our sanctification. We live, we live by grace. As soon as I, I'm going to read some words to you, and you're going to recognize it as soon as I start to read them, but I want, I'm asking you to listen to it through the lens of everything that God just spoke to us by his Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And it's amazing grace that's going to lead me home. It's going to be by his grace. Praise God. May we be a people who are so full of love and gratitude for salvation by grace that we are willing and excited participants in God's process of sanctification. May we be a people who are ever growing and ever being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior King. And may we be a people who seek out sin like a skilled hunter and put it to death, not so that God will love us, but because he has loved us so well. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their endurance in your word. I thank you, Lord God, that uh, it is by God's grace that we even navigated these turbulent waters. Um, Lord, and I'm asking right now, I, I am seriously appealing to the power of your grace that in, in my attempt to faithfully answer these questions and in delving into this uh, incredibly complicated subject, Lord, I, I am sure um, there's there's parts where potentially I was inadequate in what I said, and I'm asking that you would fill those inadequacies uh, by your power, and I ask God that, um, that whatever, whatever comes out of this, Lord, that, that it's, there's, there's encouragement and there's uh, a, a trust and, and a, an acknowledgement of the beauty of your grace and our incredible need for it as your children. And uh, may we go from here encouraged, may we go from here full of trust, 
May we go from here uh, thankful people, grateful for how good you've been to us uh, and the fact that not only have you saved us by your grace, but you walk with us and that you empower us to resist sin and to do what it is that you've set us apart and made us to do. Uh, We just want to serve you faithfully, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.